filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So I went to Costco tonight. I'm sorry? Yeah. I also went to Costco last night. That's a very bad idea to do it twice in a row. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's because my... Um, so Costco recently switched from American Express to Visa, which is important to this story because my Amex is my Doesn't one working... My, my Amex is my one working credit card right now because my debit card, um, I'm awaiting a chip replacement and they shut down my... Um, non-chip debit card in the meantime weren't they weren't they supposed to send that to you a couple months ago yeah they did and it never came and they shut down my card anyway um and then my uh my you know regular visa my chase card uh was was compromised somehow and someone bought 160 dollars or tried to buy 160 dollars worth of sports equipment in colorado and it was that that was pablo mastroeni yeah, probably. He he got my credit card at the the draft a couple years ago in Baltimore and uh just Needed waited. to buy cones just for the uh for the Rapids. Bided his time. Um thankfully that that transaction was denied, but my visa doesn't work. I have no working visas and I went to Costco last night forgetting this and uh had to abort after getting into the parking lot and traffic was really bad. So this was a very tough tough thing for me. Um, tonight was more successful. I got my dog his medicine that he needed. I filled the prescription I needed to. My dog's fine. He's not super sick, but he needs medicine. Um, and this is the kind of story that happens when we rush into recording and don't plan a cold open. You could have let one of us have a stab at it. What, what, what did you have, Ben? I mean, I could have talked about my lovely daughter. Your daughter is lovely. Yeah, she is. Do you want to promote robot? She's she's now more machine than baby. Oh yeah. Okay, I can live with that. Jason, what cold open would you have done? Uh, I don't know. There's too many things happening for me to even. It's too much. Everyone, slow down, and don't (laughs) don't contact me when I'm driving. Stop it. The entire world only contacts me when I get behind the wheel of a car, and they leave me alone at all other times. All the other times are better than when I am driving. Don't do this. All right. What I'm hearing, everyone, harass Jason on Twitter, except during rush hour. But the rest of the time, just throw tweets at him constantly. Please do it for me. Do it for Ben. Do it for Ben's daughter. Tweets don't actually bother me because my phone is set to not buzz or anything for that. It's all the other stuff. My phone is like a noise-making device harassing me when I'm driving. Go find right. Jason's email address. I'm not going to give it to you. I trust your intrepidness to find Jason's email address and email him constantly. I yes. will sign you up for something I know you don't want. <laughs> Every single one of you that does that. Go ahead and try it. I think I think that's an empty threat, and everyone should should test him on that. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, and lots more. Tonight, it is uh, DC United and MLS night here at Filibuster, as it so often is. Um, We have a nice news roundup to open the show. And in the second segment, our good friend Sebastian Salazar, now of ESPN FC, will be joining us to talk about MLS more broadly. Before we do anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking when you're not being bothered behind the wheel of a car? I hope you're not drinking this behind the wheel of a car anyway. Well, no, you can see I'm not behind the wheel of a car because we do this with video. Well, I Um, meant... Yes. (laughs) But you could drink it behind the wheel of a car at other times, just not at this time. I could. I do not do that. Um, That's good. I have uh, Goose Island's uh, Sophie... Um, they Goose Island does like a, a series of large scale. Uh, what are they? Twenty four ounce bottles, I think. Um, large format with various, yeah, with various um, women's names every year. Sophie is their Belgian style farmhouse ale. 
This is the 2016 edition, unsurprisingly. Um, I gotta say, I thought that I had this last year a few times. It was really good. The 2016 is kind of a step down. It's a little thinner, a little more heavy on the carbonation. Um, it's not bad still. It's still got a little bit of a spiciness to it and a little um, citrusy note, but it, you know, they've done better, but it's still, it's still fine. I'm also drinking something, uh, American in the Belgian style. I'm drinking Allagash 16 counties, which is their all main sourced beer. Uh, Maine has 16 counties and, uh, everything in this bottle, uh, which is also a large format bottle, 750 milliliter. Um, everything in it came from Maine. Nothing is there was something from of each the of the 16 counties? I don't know that. Okay. Um, I didn't read the label that closely, but the, this is their basic, their, their Belgian-style bottle-conditioned ale tribute to their home state. And I know we have at least one listener who originally hails from Maine, so I figured it was appropriate to, to drink tonight. Ben, what are you drinking? I'm drinking something that I know I have never had on this podcast before, and I'm, I don't think any of us have ever had this on the podcast before. It's a Manhattan, isn't it? Yes, it's definitely a Manhattan. Unheard of. <laughs> no, uh, I'm actually drinking Applejack, which is a combination of apple brandy and neutral uh, grain spirit. It was originally um, just apple brandy, and then you threw it outside in the uh, freezing weather for a couple of months, and it fermented that way. Uh, my cat is agreeing with me as I yes. say this. Um, but now, we, because of health reasons, you're not allowed to just throw alcohol outside and let it ferment in the freezing cold weather anymore. You have to actually ferment it in a proper pasteurized way. So now they just add neutral grain spirit to it. But it's one of uh, America's oldest uh, distilled beverages. Uh, George Washington had a fondness for Applejack and yeah, this one's made by a Virginia company, of course. So I actually, to that. I actually have had Applejack on the show, not as a standalone drink, yeah. but mixed with apple cider like this fall. Oh, so, so, the, so the cocktail Applejack, not the alcoholic beverage, the single well, alcoholic beverage Applejack. I had Laird's Applejack mixed with apple cider and oh, bourbon. You I had both. Um, I was going to say, I thought that at least one guest has also had Applejack. Probably. Damn it. Well, ben just doesn't pay attention while he's doing the show. Is what ben only produces the show. He doesn't <laughs> listen to it. I mean, I can only remember so many things, and the catalog of alcoholic beverages is not one of them. I'll try it's, again next week to have something that no one has ever I had. I think it's very if, important if, we ever, if someone ever finds us... Um, notorious enough to deserve our own wikipedia page i will demand that it include everything we drink from every episode i think we'll, um, i think i think we more deserve i think we more deserve a wikia page and not a wikipedia page i can live with that if some i'm not going to do the work i'm not going to no, self-promote okay. no we're not going to do that but if one of our <laughs> listeners did that i would certainly shout them out on the show i already, I already all kinds of credit I already worked on a DC United related Wikipedia page tonight. I'm not making one for us, and it would get immediately deleted. So it's actually true. Ben actually has did yes. done that tonight <laughs> at my urging. Yeah, um, referred to him as having superpowers. Remember, this is the uh, the show for soccer nerds who like DC United. Nerds who of, like soccer and DC United. Yes, and speaking of DC United, it's it's time for a news roundup, or as Ben likes to call it, Adam's Fun Time News Roundup time. That it is. Since our last show, Jaron, Jared Jeffrey was re-signed. Our own Ryan Kiefer broke the Sebastian Latou to DC story. Ian Harks officially signed on the line and preseason freaking started. Um, let's let's take these in order. Jared Jeffrey uh, re-signed. He, he came over during one of the years that, that should not be named. Um, made, made him, endeared himself somewhat uh, being one of the few bright spots that year and then has promptly you know after that spent a lot of time on the bench until 2016 when he had I guess what you could call a breakout year with United got more playing time looked better for the most part um, Ben Olsen in at season ticket events and uh, and elsewhere kind of sang his praises um, somewhat more than I would have expected honestly um, so I guess his his resigning shouldn't be that much of a surprise. Jason, what do you make of it? Um, I think 
Jeffrey definitely has a place within the squad. It, it definitely makes sense that United wanted to keep him around. Um, I do expect him to play significantly less minutes this year. Um, it's not so much because Jeffrey's a bad player, but because United has really stocked their central midfield uh, with Ian Harks, who we'll get to. Uh, coming in, Rob Vincent emerging over the back half of the season as a an option both as a six and as an eight. Um, Marcelo is back. Um, Acosta is still going to be taking up one of those three starting spots. We're, sh- we're sure of that. Uh, Boucher is still around looking for minutes and, and not just looking for minutes, but really knocking pretty hard at the door for minutes, uh, by the end of the year last year. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of good players looking for time. Um, Jeffrey does bring something a little different as an eight than the other players that could be uh, put there though. He's more of a ball winner, more of mm-hmm. a, the, maybe the conservative option as an eight. Um, and that's, that has its place, especially when you go on the road, um, or as a player, you bring off the bench. If you're, if you're already taking the lead in the game, um, you can really plug up the midfield that way. So, um, he is still going to be a part of the team. He's still going to play. Um, I forgot to mention Chris Durkin, who's now been, um, uh, called back from his, uh, time with the U-17s. Yeah, to that's actually something be part I should of, have mentioned. Yeah. Um, which is, which is big because the original plan with that, the stated plan from DC United was he would stay with the U-17s really through, at least through the World Cup qualifying campaign that they go through later, I think later this spring, I think in April, um, and then possibly even through the entire tournament, which is much, it's like the end of summer. Um, so the fact yeah, that he's like been... September-ish? Yeah, it was late in the year. Um, and so the fact that he's being called in to just be with DC United most of the time is a strong indicator that he's... Uh, that they, they did say they would call him in if he was ahead of schedule, and they've called him in to be at training most of the time. Um, and I can tell you from watching him and I know, um, Ben seen him as well with the kickers. Yep. Um, this isn't like, let's give this kid some minutes for down the road. I mean, it is, but it's also, he can actually play now. Um, he can actually help this team. Now he can play MLS games. Um, so yeah, that's just, you know, a, I know non DC United fans who watch, who've watched him play. Uh, and, and they say that he doesn't look like a 16 year old no, on the field. Not he, looks like he belongs with them. Yeah, uh, with the kickers, he was easily one of the one or two best players on the field in USL games multiple right. times. So that's the, that's definitely the quality you want to see from a MLS prospect that you're sending down to your USL team. Right. And, and you know, that's more competition that Jeffrey will have to deal with. Um, but I do think uh, there's a real use for him in the lineup. And uh, we've also seen him tough out some... some um, Sometimes some deal with some physical things that would have been very difficult. There was um, in the Open Cup, actually, when Durkin made his one and only DC United appearance. Um, Jeffrey played 120 minutes, actually missed the penalty that cost the team the game. So he was I watched him. He was absolutely devastated after that and then had to play the full 90 on the uh, three days later because of the uh, the way the schedule worked and the number of uh, suspensions or injuries United had at the time. There was no choice but to. Uh, field somebody that started that game, the Open Cup game, and Jeffrey ended up having the tough 90 minutes out in the middle of summer. And he did it without looking like he was going to collapse, which is a, mm-hmm. you know, a borderline superhuman level of fitness. So um, that goes a long way. I was looking through United's schedule. I'll actually uh, have something on this later in the week about United's schedule, but there are numerous times where the schedule is kind of designed to destroy uh, humans uh, playing for DC United. So um, having a guy like that around that can tough those games out in the summer is, uh, that's, it's, it's an underrated thing in MLS for just having guys that can endure that and not fall apart. As first reported on black and red United.com, Sebastian Latou is a member of the black and red. It was made official today. Ryan Kiefer broke the story over the weekend, um, running down a lead that, that was available to anyone. And he actually confirmed it with a couple different sources. Um, which I think he was the only one to actually, or at least he was the first one to do that. Sebastian Latou has bounced around in MLS. I think he came in originally with the Sounders in their debut season. I think and, it was with their, uh, U- yeah. the USL Sounders. He was with their USL yeah, team. Yeah. He, he promoted with them from the USL. Yes. Yes. And then came to Philly and then went somewhere else and then back to Philly and spent last Red season Bulls. in Colorado. Oh, that's right. I forgot he went to Jersey. Yep. Uh, 
this is a guy who has um, beaten DC United in the past. I think he scored the game winner in the first ever Union game, which was against DC United. Um, he uh, he's you know he he didn't have the best year last year, but nobody aside from maybe Skelshin Gashi. Uh, who plays on the attacking side, really had that good of a year with Colorado last year. Uh, anyway, this this strikes me as a depth signing, but but one that makes a certain amount of sense. Um, he's, he's not a young guy, but he's going to fill a need, and it's a one-year deal that, you know, we, we heard today that the team still has plenty of um, maneuvering space under the salary cap, so it doesn't seem like an oppor- a huge opportunity cost, so... I really don't object to this signing all that much. Ben, what do you make of it? Yeah, I think it's a really good signing. I think it's a, well, not uh, let me back that up. Not really good, but it's a classic Ben Olsen, Dave Casper, MLS veteran signing. Um, as the DC United press release stated, he's the only active player in MLS. He's one of two active players in MLS to have 50 goals and 50 assists in the league, along with uh, a guy named Landon Donovan. Um, so that's pretty decent. Um, and despite playing for both Philly and Colorado last year, he still had three goals and seven assists, which for a guy who was not a full-time starter is a pretty good number. I think that would have placed him in in about 1800 minutes. Yeah. That would have placed him, I think third on DC United last year in assists. Right. Uh, so that's still a pretty good showing, um, in all, I, I mean, you don't want to overanalyze, uh, text in press releases too much but in the press release dc united put out today he was described as a forward so maybe that gives some insight into how ben olsen wants to use him maybe that's just over analyzing too much yeah i would i would be very surprised if he played many minutes at all at forward um yeah especially with, not a, with he he doesn't produce many shots um latu is very much a setup guy i think um last season i've got his stats up and last season in 32 appearances, he took 20 shots total. Um, so he is a guy that needs to stay wide and create for others more than he is a shooter. He is a good penalty taker. I will add that. Um, he has a good record on penalty kicks. But yeah, uh, overall, I think it's a very Ben Olsen signing. I think they've definitely earned the benefit of the doubt on intra-MLS signings at this point. I think they've... They have a great track record in that, uh, so they see something they like. It's at a number they must be okay with, and so yeah. And I mean, the team is one injury to Lloyd Sam or Patrick Niarco to really to needing Latou a lot next year. So it's it makes sense on a whole lot of levels. So I'm I'm good with it. I've told you guys this, and I said it in a comment uh, on the site. I would not at all be surprised if Latou managed to score two, three, four really important goals for DC United over the course of this year, kind of the way uh, Alvaro Sabarillo did over the last couple of years, or, or maybe I'll, I'll amend that to say, get, get a handful of, you know, goals or assists that end up being really important, either as a substitute or a stand in starter um, for, I think most likely Lloyd Sam. I assume that this would make uh, Nagel more available on the left side which is his more natural side to play uh even if it is inverted and especially during those brutal uh scheduling situations that we were talking about he's definitely gonna get some spot starts yeah being being deep and having experience in this league to to get through the grind that is an mls season is is important and this yeah like i said earlier I, i can't find a lot of fault in this uh assigning nobody can find fault in near as I can tell, is Ian Hark signing a homegrown deal with DC United, which is now official. It was all but official um, during our last show. Jason and I got to go on at length about it. Ben, in one sound or less, describe your feelings on Ian Hark signing. Ooh-ah. I'll take it. Preseason is now underway for DC United. Um, a few storylines from Media Today, Media Day Today, which is surprisingly difficult to say. Um, our, nice, our, nice our, rhyme. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Steven Streff from Black and Red United was on the scene and has all kinds of content coming out today and tomorrow and into the foreseeable future from this. Um, 
some of the things we learned, Bill Hamid said that he would be good to go on opening day. Hooray. Um, I already used the one sound or less, so I'm not going to ask Ben or Jason to make a noise about that one. But um, I think we all we all like Travis Wara plenty. But if the option is Bill Hamid or any other human between the sticks, I think the answer is Bill Hamid. Any disagreement? Hearing none? No. Uh, despite our skepticism uh, at Black and Red United and here on Filibuster, uh, it sounds like Sean Franklin really will be getting reps uh, at the center back spot. <sighs> ben, I, 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 wouldn't, I said I already so, used the, yeah. the noise thing. Come on. I mean, and as we clarified last week, it, it, the whole thing, our, our skepticism about it was always based on, look, if somebody heard something that we weren't privy to, uh, during the off season, then so be it. And I think maybe that's, I think that's what happened. That's what happened. Um, which is all well and good. Um, and look, if if United has five possible center backs instead of four, um, that's probably a good move. I think the the quotes that came out today were basically like, "It's not he's going to be a center back." Period. Um, right. It's that's we're going to look well. at this and see if he can also play there um so he can play right back or center back rather than just right back um i feel like there's a massive overreaction towards the uh the possibility of him sometimes playing center back maybe um rather you know people are looking at it as like oh he's going to move into the middle full time and that's that um and it's it's not it's it's not, this yeah, isn't a if, big development. This is a small development. Right. I think if he shows really well at center back during preseason, maybe there will be a thing. But that's still a, a bit of a ways off. Um, and the way he, he put it in his quotes in the press were, were more, I, I think, to, to Stephen, in fact, were more, I, Ben and I talked about this. It's a way to spell me at right back and potentially extend my career uh, mm-hmm. because I don't have I mean, unstated was because I don't have the wheels to keep up at right fullback for 34 games a season anymore. Which we knew. Which we learned last year uh, and the year before that, frankly. Um, Franklin Lee. Thank you for that, Ben. You're thank welcome. you. Didn't you miss me last week? So much. <laughs> um, I'll be interested to see how this goes. Um, Another thing we we heard was that Nick DeLeon is going to be primarily a fullback. Um, ben Olsen, you know, made a little joke, said he's a fullback and also a midfielder. He he kind of hedged a little bit, um, which is entirely fair, especially because as, as Kevin McCauley uh, puts it, Ben Olsen is a troll. He loves trolling the press. He loves trolling fans. Uh, he's a wonderful, delightful human being, and he's a troll. Uh our, our delightful elven skateboarding troll. Yes. Uh, that video was so fun. <laughs> but Nick DeLeon, he did say, will spend time basically at right back and left back this year. And Jason, you and I discussed this um, about whether he could fit at left back. And, and right now, uh, he's probably the top backup at left back or, or among them. Right. If, if Ben Olsen um, says that's where he's going to play him. In- in that there is a vacuum. Uh, yes. That's, that second spot is actually a vacuum. It's, um, it's it's like he's fourth on the depth chart, but there's nobody in the second or third spot. Right. I mean, if, uh, they, if they signed me right now, I'd probably be third choice left back. Cause are you left footed? No. I am. Well, then you're probably not. Well, then Adam's ahead of me because he's left footed. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to watch the preseason games. United did add... Um, two different left backs, uh, that on trial. Um, so those guys are going to spend some of that time, uh, back in camp up. But, you know, if Olsen says he's going to look at De Leon as a fullback at both sides and he's going to do it. Um, so we'll, we'll find out. We'll see if, um, if De Leon can make that transition. I do think it's going to be kind of a difficult one for him. Um, it will be, um, a little difficult, I think, for him because it's not a position you can play inverted, most likely, especially the way DC plays. There's no room for him to always be cutting inside. Um, he has to be a source of width, uh, given that all of the players that play on the left wing for United tend to cut in. Um, so if he wants to cut in as well, there's no one wide and you've just left a side of the field 
unguarded, and you've also robbed yourself of width. So it will be tricky for him, um, but it's, you know, if he can fill that role and be the a serviceable second choice left back, then that's pretty good news. We know Chris Korb is on the camp roster, but not in camp yet. Um, also a guy who's right-footed, but made his home on the left side. Yes. Um, and, you know, Maxim Tissot is one of the trialists. He had a trial with DC last year, but wasn't signed at the time. Um, but obviously didn't offend anybody because they've invited him back. Um, kind of like so how they trialed Rob Vincent and then invited him back. Yes. Um, uh, Suleiman Danke uh, from the University of Maryland is also there on trial. Um, he's a player that has been in United System forever. They, If they were convinced by him, they probably would have already offered him a homegrown deal. Um, so And nobody I, decided to draft him. He was available in the Super Draft. Right. So it's going to be an uphill battle for him. He is, uh, I will say... Um, definitely the faster, uh, of those two players of him and Tiso, um, probably a little more of a stay at home defender than Tiso. Tiso actually has spent some time as a winger as well as a left mm-hmm. back, but, um, which might make more sense in DC United right. system, but, but we'll see. Um, you know, if, if DeLeon can also play that spot, I mean, the fact that if, if DeLeon plays that spot, well, United still does need somebody else that can play left back because DeLeon might need be needed elsewhere. You only have one utility player who can play, what, five different positions in this formation now? Yep. Um, so both wingers, central midfield, both fullbacks. He's, yeah, he's probably going to be on the field a lot regardless. Um, so you can't just say, well, Daly owns the, left, the other left back, and it's fine. Um, at a certain point, you need to have more options than Nick Daly can play all of the positions. So uh, there's, one of those guys will still have a, a pretty good window to uh, get on the field, but also we may see other trialists come in. We usually do, um, and maybe one of maybe one of those trialists ends up being the guy. Ben, anything else you want to talk about? Having taken the week the, off on assignment, uh, before we bring in Sebi Salazar, I'm just happy that preseason's here. That like the one month of MLS off season is always a dark, dark time and. I'm glad MLS is back to fill my cold heart. And on that extremely uplifting note, we will be right back. (laughs) Stick around. This is Filibuster, Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell Uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is our goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Sebastian Salazar is the newest face on ESPN FC. He's guest hosted the the show. He's uh, going to be involved in U.S. national team productions, and he's uh, on the website. He's on Facebook. He's all over the place. Sebastian Salazar, welcome back to Filibuster. Hey, man. Good to be here with you guys. Thanks for uh, having me on. What are you drinking, man? I'm drinking... Well, I'm in the house of my... Uh, my father and my mother, but my Mexican mother. So the only choices were like Sol and Dos Equis. And I wanted to fight, so a Sol. All right. Filled. By the way, it should be – I like to drink it like gelada style. So like, you know, a third of the glass lime juice. But somehow in <laughs> Mexican mother, there are no lies. I don't know how to 
problems here. There was just some uh, some tension in the ranks. It's late January. G- give her a break. Yeah, I'll cut her some slack. <laughs> uh, man, you've been all over the place lately. You, you've been in D.C., L.A., Bristol, Brazil. Um, it's been a hell of a year for you, man. It has. Um, it has. You know, it was tough, though. I, I think people saw me do the Olympics stuff and... Um, it was like, oh yeah, Sebi's doing soccer again. But really, since DC United left CSN, there was just this huge void. And um, you know, I, I didn't mind doing the other stuff. But as you guys know, this is my my passion. Um, I think beyond that, it's what I'm best at, and it's what I enjoy most. Um, and so, really, going to the Olympics and doing soccer at that level for like three three and a half straight weeks, um, I just couldn't get out of my head when I came back in the fall that I, I felt like I really needed to find a way back in and uh, ESPN gave me that shot and so I, I had to jump out. It was really tough to leave CSN. I grew up there. I loved it um, but with a lack of soccer and then the opportunity to go to go full-time soccer and stay based in DC which was really huge. Um, it just really felt like the perfect situation at ESPN and a perfect time. You know they're investing a lot in soccer. They're a, investing a lot in their MLS coverage, and uh, I feel like I'm a pretty good fit for, for some of the properties that they're really focused on. For sure, and we're, we're glad to have an excuse to have you back on the show. Um, I know you and I talked a little bit um, at, at uh, DC Scores practices and whatnot about this, and, and I'm thrilled to have you you back on the air doing, doing soccer games. How is the new gig? You, you go up to Bristol from time to time, I know, and obviously you're traveling all over the country. How is it at ESPN? ESPN. It's good. And the truth is, like, you know, since I'm based in D.C., I'm kind of this uh, hired gun. I go out and, I, and I'm, I'm really not in, in Bristol all that much. I've only had a few tastes of it. It's another world up there, man. Uh, it's a campus in every sense. It's huge. Uh, you really get the, the sense of the scope of the project. And, like, even just covering MLS Cup for ESPN – you know, I, did, I would do some stuff in Spanish and like family members in Mexico would be like, oh my God, you're on my TV and forget <laughs> that ESPN is this global entity and, and, you know, people watch it. ESPN FC is seen in India. Uh, it's seen all over the Caribbean. It, it's seen in, in England, obviously. So um, the shows that you work on, you, you know, just have this scope that, that you tend to forget. Like I always watched ESPN FC, but never thought of it as an international show. Um, until I got to do it. And so uh, it's been great. It's been great bouncing around. I like to do a little bit of everything. I like to report. I like to host. I like to play-by-play. And I think I'll get shots to do all of that here with ESPN. So um, it's been good. But it's been great covering it, working with the different people. You know, it's a certain crew up on the ESPN FC show. It's a little more European, international Mm -hmm. focused. But I got to be with Taylor out at MLS Cup and kind of pick his brain a little bit. Um, and, And, you know, having those opportunities to really get MLS nerdy with people again. It's just something that I, <laughs> I didn't, I just, I had missed out on it for a year. It was like, really, it felt like being disinvited from like the cool kids table in middle school or something like I was part of the crew, <laughs> then I wasn't. Um, and now I'm back in the party. So uh, it really, it just, it feels like a homecoming in a lot of ways. I think this is the first, I think this is the first time that MLS nerds have been called the cool kids in the lunchroom. Room. Yes. <laughs> So I, I'm going to take that and I'm going to run with it. We're just going to, I'm pretty sure somebody's tweeting it out right now. Um, so you were out in LA for the, the draft and for MLS Media Day. How was it? What were the big stories you, you got out of that? Well, so I didn't, I wasn't out there for the draft. I ghosted in okay. for, um, for Media Days, um, but it was great. You know, we got to talk to the national teamers came in the second day. So I got to do a sit down with Josie and talk about Toronto and the national team and um, the end of the Klinsman era. Of course, the big story while we were out there, well, you know, Jermaine Jones signed. That wasn't really a surprise, but it was a big story. The Dax McCarty trade uh, happened right as the guys were arriving. Like Bradley Wright Phillips found out, I think, as he was getting in his car from the airport to head to media days. Oh man! So all the emotion of that trade was really raw when we got those guys. And um, I think you got you saw some really good quotes from Bradley Wright Phillips on what Dax meant to the Red Bulls. It's weird to think of him as a human being. As a DC fan, it's weird to think of Bradley Wright Phillips as a human. These people are people. Uh, <laughs> those are the big stories. And then it, it was really interesting just to um, be there in, in kind of the eye of the hurricane during the Tim Howard comments because that really caught fire over those two days. Um, and I think Tim tried to, to back off his original comments 
um, in an interview actually with ESPN FC, I think it was Jeff that was sitting down with him, Jeff Carlisle, um, either him or Doug McIntyre. One of the two was sitting down with him, and he, and he definitely tried to to kind of take some steps back. But in his first interview, the one that really kind of got things going in USA Today, he he really kind of pointed the finger at, not at the German-Americans, but at the inclusion of the German-Americans as kind of the the reason or, or the beginning of how, where U.S. soccer maybe started to lose its its passion identity, I guess. Um, and I think getting everybody's responses to that within 24 hours, I got to talk to Josie. Um, it, it was just really interesting to be in, in the middle of that and see how everybody reacted. And of course, Jermaine also sat down with us, um, you know, immediately after that as well and had his own reaction. So that was that really almost overshadowed uh, in a lot of ways all the, the comings and goings because it's that hot stove time of year. But then this kind of controversial issue popped up. Yeah, and it's it's interesting in a way. I know during the Klinsman era on on this show, we talked about how it's become harder and harder to get excited about talking about the, the men's national team. Uh, just because you know there's going to be something that makes you frustrated or angry or whatever. And I, I won't say it obviously feels like a new, like like something tangible has changed um, just with the hiring of, of Bruce Arena. But I'm, I'm hopeful that, that we will be more excited to discuss the team on this show going, going forward. Um, more excited than we have been at least the last couple of years. Because it used to be we would, everyone would get up to talk about the national team. That was the really the thing that united all soccer fans, DC United fans, Red Bulls fans, Seattle and Portland fans. They they all would pull for the same national team and be excited to talk about it. And um I won't say that the I, I I'm not going to talk about Tim Howard's comments or talk about the actual merit of them or lack thereof, but I got lost in that. I, I don't know where I'm going anymore. Welcome to Filibuster, Sebi. I'm sure you missed us. It's run horribly off the tracks. No, I mean, uh, I would say this. I think I think what we talk about is, you know, results breed interest. And there was a there was a lack of results at the end of Klinsman, but there was also this like detachment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just and I, and I, it does not have anything to do with the fact that Jurgen Klinsmann is German. I think it has no, to no. do with with the fact that Jurgen Klinsmann treated the American fan and media and the results of what players were doing in the American League, um, disrespect might be too strong of a word, or it might be an accurate word. Um, D- didn't he? Didn't he call us idiots at some point? Yeah, I mean, we we were almost dismissed. And I think when you see results and something's pretty clear to you, and then you're told, and to borrow a current phrase, alternate fact. <laughs> <laughs> You, well, you start to detach. I mean, and that's in many ways that's the point of of, of tell. Hey, you don't know anything. Uh, the, the, you know, the press in this country doesn't know anything. The fans in this country don't know anything. And I think when you're told you don't know anything or that you don't know as much, um, you, you kind of say, "Well, if I don't know anything, then why? Where's my interest?" And I think for a lot of people, maybe that's where um, this frustration with the national team kind of came up. And I don't know how much is going to change under Bruce. There's a lot of things that are being said about, you know, playing for the shirt and passion and all that stuff. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know how much I buy into that stuff. I think guys need to be motivated on their own. If, if we're relying on, on a, a coach, whether it's Bruce Arena or Jurgen Klinsmann or Bob Bradley or anybody else to motivate national team players, um, to me, that comes down to the players, and that's something that when we were out at MLS Meet Days and I sat down with Josie uh, Altador, the the first thing he said when I asked him what happened at the end of the at the end of the Klinsman era was, "Look, man, I don't look at the coach. Like I look at the players. We, we're the ones that dictate." I think he said, "You know, we're the protagonists." Um, and and you look at at what happened in Costa Rica, and and you can point to, um, and you can point to. The, the team, what it looked like, the team kind of folding, but is that is that Klinsman or is that guys in a hole who just kind of put their shovels down? And I think it's more guys putting their shovels down. And I don't know that that's an indictment on the coach. I, I, I do think you know it was time to move on from Klinsman based on the results. But I, I think there's a, a bigger problem here in terms of the the level and the quality at which the players themselves were performing. 
Let's turn to MLS now. Um, the offseason is now well and truly underway. In fact, the preseason is, is now underway. Um, a lot of trades happening, like you said earlier. Which team do you is is making the most noise to claim the offseason champion mantle? It's a good question. I, I think, um, well, like I, you have to look at it two ways, right? Um, who has the most ceiling for growth? Uh, and I think, I think the highest ceiling for, for, for potential growth. And I think Chicago like jumps right in, you know, um, mm-hmm. really like they, they solidified their midfield, right? Juninho coming back from Tijuana. I, I like that move. I like what he brings. Uh, he wasn't super regular with Cholos, but he was, uh, still a, played pretty well, um, when he did play Dax, Dax is in there. He'll help them set up. Um, Michael Delu had a really productive half season with them. You don't really see guys come over midway through a season. I think he had seven goals, three assists, maybe an open cup goal too in like 18 games. That's a pretty good, that's, you know, that's pretty good production for a guy who's coming over midstream. You don't really see see that. And joining a bad team too. Yeah. Um, They were a mess and he still did that. Right. Uh, And then the um, Hungarian, I believe, uh, Nikolic, that they brought over, who's playing for Pol- uh, playing for Warsaw in Poland, Legia Warsaw. He scored a ton of goals there. Now I think we know this very well, uh, being you know in the DC United bubble, guys that you bring over who score a lot of goals in Eastern Europe. Hamdi <laughs> <I'm decently>. Salih. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Don't always translate to goals in MLS. So, um, but but his strike rate you you can't deny. So I think Chicago both. Um, just with the fact that they have so much room for growth um, and, and being able to pull off the big blockbuster deal for Dax, to me, you know, I, th- I think they could really be an interesting team, a team that maybe, you know, fights for a playoff spot this year. Are they going to go worst to first like D.C. did in, in 2014? I doubt it, just primarily because I think the Eastern Conference, the top end of the Eastern Conference is, is way better than it was in 2014. But um, I, I think Chicago right now, you really have to say – um, for me, in, in terms of, of how much they could improve this offseason, has to take the cake. So we all know that uh, with the expansion teams, they're taking two very different tacks when it comes to uh, building a team. Uh, Atlanta is going with big names and a, a big signing with their coach in uh, Tata. Uh, and then Minnesota United is going the more traditional MLS route with uh, Adrian Heath and building the team with uh, – MLS veterans and and through the draft and so forth. Uh, who do you think is going to actually have the better year come 2017? Do you think Atlanta's uh, bold, brash style is going to pay off? Or do you think the uh, traditional MLS style is going to make Minnesota uh, the better team? Well, I think, I think Minnesota, to me, seems like the team that's a more obvious answer there. But if you want to know who I'm more excited to watch, it's Atlanta, and it's not yeah. Particularly close. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I'm really excited to see. You know, I think when we first heard of Atlanta coming in, and and you heard all of the links to the potential Mexican players, which you know got got me particularly excited. And Andres Guardado, or I think Carlos mm-hmm. Vela at times was linked there um, as well. Quick aside, I don't think there's been an appearance by you on this show that hasn't mentioned Andres Guardado. Well, I mean, <laughs> for good reason. Yeah, for good reason. Yeah. Um, no, but I think what you know, you have to look at what their realities were. They were probably thinking, okay, we got to get one of these guys to get some buzz, to sell some jerseys, to sell some tickets. Um, when I was down there for the expansion draft, they were um, they already had twenty two thousand season tickets sold. I think that number's up to almost thirty um, right wow. now. Wow! So they don't they don't need to sell tickets. So when you don't need to sell tickets, you can take your big, big money bullets and you can use them in other ways. I love the Miguel Almiron signing. I mean, I don't know much about him, right, other than what you see on the highlight tapes. But I love the idea of an MLS team going into the Latin American market. And I've always said this, the Argentine market specifically. They can't pay their players right now. There's not a lot of money in Argentina. It's kind of the league where the top talent from all the rest of South America funnels its way into. You could say the same about Brazil. But the tough thing about Brazil is they tend to pay a little bit better. So the competition, as far as MLS going down and buying players and paying players, is a little bit tougher. But that Argentine market is is ripe for the picking. 
And that's why DC could get Lucho Acosta. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and you look at a guy like Almiron, like Chelsea, Arsenal were linked. Now, what does link mean? I don't know. But, um, <laughs> I think it's worth noting that MLS has never really been in a position before to beat important European clubs to players like that. So um, is that the Tata Martino effect? Is that just the money talking? Is that overall growth of the league where guys say – hey, I, I've got an opportunity to go to MLS for two, three years and still make it to Europe. Is that the quality of life that this league offers over the Argentine league? Anytime I talk to any player, um, and I was talking to, the last guy I talked about this was Nicolás Lodero um, with Seattle, and he says, look, dude, it's just such a different quality of life here. You know, he's he's only 27 years old. He's playing really well. I asked him, I was like, would you want to go back to Europe? He's like, man, if really the right opportunity came up, but he's like happy to retire in Seattle. He loves it here. You know, he, he wants to raise his family here. And, and so I think um, all of those things are, are really allowing MLS to attack kind of how you build a squad differently. And we're seeing Atlanta do it. Now, Minnesota has guys that we know about, right? We know what Christian Ramirez is about. We know what Miguel Ibarra is about. Um, and now we don't know what they're like at the top level of American soccer, but we, we kind of know what they are, at least to Minnesota, and what they ought to be able to bring. And we know what they are on the domestic scene. So I, I think Minnesota, it's easy, a little bit easier to project where they might end up. Atlanta is like feast or famine. You know, you could see it really taking a long time to build what they're building. Or you could see it, you know, coming together pretty quickly. Um, uh, I think they, they really need to figure out the goalie thing. <laughs> and the rest of the defense thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you've got some interesting pieces there, right? Like a Greg Garza to me is is an interesting yeah, yeah. piece, a, a versatile guy that that you can move around. So um, they may not lack as much. You know, it, you look at how Minnesota built the team, and it's and it's all those types of veteran picks. Um, Atlanta just has a, a, a few different players that that we just don't know about. We don't know how long it's going to take them to acclimate to MLS. So. Um, I'm more intrigued by Atlanta, but I think Minnesota is probably a safer bet to accumulate more points this season. Uh, Sebi, my, my thoughts kind of go towards uh, the opposite end. The uh, One of the old school teams in MLS that is going under some pretty major changes. Uh, you mentioned Jermaine Jones. That's just one of the things that Galaxy have done. It's been uh, – a pretty, a pretty much a sea change for them all around. What do you make of all the things that are going on over there? I think teams go through these kind of mass transitions. And I think I, I like the idea that they're trying to get away. You know, it's, it's interesting because, like, what are the Galaxy really doing? We were promised, hey, we're not going to go after the older age designated player. Now, Jermaine Jones is not Steven Gerrard, right? Um, but that's the, the different league. But at the same time, you know, Jermaine Jones is a is a 35-year-old. Um and, and I wonder, you have to ask this question, especially after last season in Colorado, how much can he give you? Now, the answer is when he's on the field, he's one of the most effective players in the league. He can really make a massive difference. So I think this in this situation, really in any situation, been asked to be the guy quite like he is going to be, um, I think, this season for the LA Galaxy. And... You know, he had stretches last year where he looked really good, but that was playing off of guys like Robbie Keane. And, and without that, I, I really wonder what he's capable of. I love Giovanni the Santos. I, I think he's great, but it's a test. It's a different situation for him. It's a different bit of pressure. Um, and it's a long season. And it's a big year for him kind of in the international front as well. So he's going to be he's going to be logging a lot of minutes. And, uh, and, and But when he comes back to the Galaxy, he cannot have those quiet games as he did in the past. I would love it, love it if they could get, you know, the Dos Santos brothers together. I think we saw at Villarreal, they played really, really well together. They had a really productive season. Um, Jonathan, this season, is playing very, very well. For people who maybe don't watch a ton of La Liga, he's he's doing some really good work, chipping in some goals, too. So um, if they could make that happen, um, and then from a marketing standpoint, I'm thinking, hey, you know, down the road, LAFC signs a Chicharito when his contract's up at Leverkusen. Now you got this like incredible LA rivalry with a lot of Mexican American Mexican flavor to it, and um, and you've got something really special brewing in LA. But I think the Galaxy are, you know, with with how much they kept the same. You know, you, you bring up an Alfo, he ought to know how 
Um, kind of the room was run. I saw that smirk. <laughs> it wasn't a smirk. It was a full-on snort from Ben Bromley. Yeah. Okay, we all through 2010. We all through 2010. But, um, you know, I, I, I think it's also – we also have to acknowledge that this guy's probably grown a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and you know, while he – the situation he stepped into here was a very different situation than what he's stepping to with the Galaxy. So, um, you know, he's, he's, he's settling into a, a car that runs really, really well. Here, you know, he was trying to build a vehicle from scratch and, and get it on the road, and it, you know, and it didn't happen. And, and so I, I think, I assume that he's half of a season, um, you know, we might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. I, I, I think they'll be all right as long as Giovanni doesn't suffer a, a big drop-off. And it should be noted, there have been stretches with Giovanni in MLS where he has gone silent, like 9, 10, 11 game stretches. And if he does that, I think they will really struggle. Yeah, I I guess uh, the, the first thing on my mind is, uh, or after that, is to come back to D.C. Um, there have been not many changes in D.C. It's not really an overhaul at all. It's just kind of con- trying to continue the back half of last season. Uh, do you think they can maintain that sort of play, that high-scoring, actually fun-to-watch uh, sort of thing and succeed? Or is that sort of a half-season flash in the pan that might they might regress from? Regress from. Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? I mean, I, I would never last year have guessed that that's the second half of that season was coming. They had, what, like 26 goals in the last nine games or something? I mean, it was, a, yeah, it, it, it was like 30, just, 35, I think, out of like, like – 12, 13 games or something. It was an absurd number. Six of those came against Chicago. So, you know, I'm not, those count. I'm not saying yeah. they don't. Yeah. But, um, you know, I never would have seen that coming. So so to speculate about what's going to happen um, in the second half here. But I, I think it's important to note at the end of last year, everybody said, let's keep this thing together. Um, they, they People will say this team doesn't spend money, but they used a pretty big bullet to, to secure Luciano Acosta. I talked to him when we were out in L.A., and um, he was really happy about it. You know, he said there's a huge difference for a player between being on loan and being part of a club. You know, he just says, I, I feel much more secure now. I feel like I, I you know, I really belong. Um, there's not kind of this prove it anymore. And I think you saw that at the end of last year. He also found a role. Um, and, and I think once you give a player like that a role and let him grow into it, um, good things happen. Patrick Mullins was awesome. Um, does he keep that up? I don't know. Goals can come and go for guys. Like what's Patrick Mullins ceiling? Is he the player he was at the back half of last year? Does he step back? Maybe does he take another step forward and really, you know, push himself into some national team conversations as a, you know, one of the, the top, uh, domestic forwards in the, you know, um, in Major League Soccer, MLS spends its money on the front line, and a lot of times that means going international. If DC United can somehow end up with you know the best American forward and have them on a pretty good number, I think that's another feather in the cap of Dave Casper, and, and you got to give Ben Olsen uh, the credit too for finding a way to utilize that. I think for, for me the most interesting part of, of what DC United does going forward at the end of last year is there's so many guys – who, if you if you say like, well, what position is he? You could say you could give two or three answers, um, and those that interchange is both, I think, what made them really effective at the end of last year, but it also to me makes me question, given some time off, uh, you know, that each, all some of those pieces are a year older, or or have you know, or maybe they're maybe they're a year. They played together for another season, so now they're a little bit more comfortable together. Like, what does that chemistry look like? Does it grow? Or, again, was it something that was, you know, two months worth of what we saw? So I, I, I like I like the fact that there weren't a ton of changes, and I think that you've got guys that have been brought in who can add depth to the forward line. You know, I don't know. What's Latou worth to this team? But he fits that, that role. He can play out wide. He can go up top. He can support a Mullins. He can play for a Mullins. Um, this Ortiz guy they brought in from from Costa Rica. He's now getting some run with the national team. I'll you know I'll be at the Central Americana national team, but scored a couple goals in that tournament against Belize again. So, <laughs> but he's, you know, but he's starting. I mean, he didn't. The one thing I would say, you know, a lot of like with these guys from the national team, there's a lot of guys for DC United who are going to come into the season 
either off of an international performance with Costa Rica, as in Ortiz's case, or coming from the national team camp with Kemp and Birnbaum, that I think sets you up. Um, those guys will come back, hopefully, with a lot of confidence. Um, so I, I think the team is, is really well set. I think going forward, you've got the same pieces as last year. There are some questions at the back with guys who are getting long in the tooth. But I like the idea of moving Sean Franklin away from right back, maybe letting some younger guys battle it out for that position. I thought there were some games late last year where, um, you know, I didn't know if Franklin was was at the level that they needed him to be at. That game he came back against Orlando was not great. Not great. Yeah, yeah, and I think you saw that there, right? That that and and they they addressed that through the the draft with Oroyachem, and 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 he's an interesting player. All you hear about this kid is athleticism, athleticism, athleticism. That was a thing that I think worried me about Franklin and kind of the one on one defending. He wasn't um, the same shutdown guy that he had been in in years past. Um, and then you look at the at the central back position. If he slides centrally, um, I think the best case scenario is right that we milk another year out of the Boswell Burnbaum combination. Um, but I think there were also some moments at the end of last year where you could tell that um, that that Bobby is also getting towards the end of of his run. Now Bobby is the best player in MLS at stretching it for another season and and kind of surviving year by year by year. Um, but you know, I, I I like what they've done. I mean, I, the only issue is is Bill, and it's always an issue, and they always seem to survive it. So, um, I I can't really complain too much about this team, and I, I'm excited to see what they do, given the last half of last season. But I I'd be lying if I ever said I saw that coming, because that that can <laughs> hit me like a ton of. <laughs> what do you make of DC United's? kind of youth movement with Chris Durkin coming in. Ian Harks obviously is a huge signing coming off the Herman Award. Um, they've got Odoyachim, as you said. Um, they've got some really strong youth kind of in really important positions right now. Right now, Yeah, Durkin to me I think is maybe still a, a ways away just based on the few instances I, I have had to see him play and, and kind of the what you're hearing out of the club right now, um, it, it sounds like he's he's still a ways away from from real contributing. I think the 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 most interesting prospect is is Ian Harks. Like what it? A what is he? Is he a six? Is he an eight? Um, and 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 where does he fit in? Who does he push? Does he push a Rob Vincent for playing time? I mean, I uh, I think there's some real quality to Vincent's game. A guy like Jared Jeffries, but I think those are two of the guys that you look at when you say okay. DC United is a lower budget team, and you look at their lineup and you say, "Where, where do you, where is that, where does that manifest itself?" You point at at a Rob Vincent, you point at a Jared Jeffrey. Now those guys played well and have played well in spurts, but um, is Ian good enough right away to overtake one of those guys? Um, and if he is, and if those guys were able to get them to that point where they were last year, and then Harks comes in and proves to be better than that, an upgrade. Now you're talking about a really interesting midfield um, and, and one that could really support um, an attack that, that proved to be pretty lethal in the back half of last season. So um, I would like to see those guys get in. And I think when you talk about Oroyachim at the, at the right back spot, okay, so you've got he, you've got Franklin, you've got Nick DeLeon. The, the best out of those three options ought to be a pretty good right back. And yeah. so you've yeah. given yourself some depth where the guy that does rise to the top should be pretty effective. So last question for you, for you. from, from our, our buddy Ryan Kiefer on the site. How much do you miss Roach? Roach. I miss Roach a lot. I miss Roach a lot. Where were we last year? The last, it's been a while. We text each other every once in a while, but we were at a, um, we were at the Champions League game last year, just sitting in the stands, like the two of us, like reminiscing about Capital Soccer Show, <laughs> doing a little mini a mini show just for the two of us and anybody else in Section Three Hundred Eight or wherever we were. Uh, I miss Roach a lot, man. Uh, he's he's a good dude, and 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 I love talking soccer with him. That Capital Soccer Show was a lot a lot of fun, and um, I, I would love to to team up with him on something. He's he's one of the good guys. I uh, I really do enjoy Roach. That show launched a day after this show. One day. One day. Damn it. <laughs> Black and Red United. Always first. Always first. We had some fun. Or something. Really good guests. That's what made the that's what made the difference, you know. We 
I remember we were, for that show we interviewed Hercules Gomez at the W in downtown. <laughs> you fancy. The national team came here for Brazil. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And um, so Herc was on the team then. I remember doing the interview and I remember Roach and I got up and we both looked at each other and like in that jinx moment we were like, that guy's going to work in TV. Uh, <laughs> sure enough, now he's with ESPN. So yeah, we got we had some really good, we had some good, just fun guests and, and, and Roach is... I always say this about Roach, and I think he, he – not that I'm on that level, but he really um, helped influence my interview style. He's such a good interviewer. Yeah. He's really yeah. good at like unlocking people with those first couple questions. Um, and the next thing you know, they're saying things that they probably shouldn't be saying to you. <laughs> um, I, I always give him a lot of credit for that. We got some really good stuff out of people on that show because Roach is really good at disarming folks. Yeah, he's he was great on pitch pass as well, obviously. Obviously. Sebi, thanks again for coming on the show. Um, why don't you tell our listeners, the few of them who don't follow you online, where they can find you? Find you. Yeah, so it's not at Sebi Sal's RCSN anymore. I had to change the Twitter. <laughs> at well, I, first of all, like there's a hundred million Sebastian Salazar's, so um, I tried to just do Sebi Salazar, but that one was taken. So it's at Sebi Salazar F U T, as in football. Um, so yeah, hit, hit me up there. I'm always down to. To chat it up, I got my phone on my hip all the time, much to my girlfriend slash fiance's dismay. <laughs> yeah, we um, I, I I love interacting with folks, and like I said, I haven't had the the, the chance to talk soccer to people for a while. So, um, hit me up whenever. I'm uh, I'm always up for it. We're always happy to have you on the show. Um, find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredunited on the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. That's that's really our only request to you. So for Jason and Ben and thanking Sebi one more time, I'm Adam Taylor, and we will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. <laughs>